Hey, everybody. How's it going? This is Jordan Tenenbaum, the host of the Technology Leadership Podcast. Uh, we are joined by Jaden Ziegler, the Vice President of Product at Olympic Technologies, and my fantastic uh, co-host, Mark Simon, who's the VP of Strategy over here at Saligo. Uh, today, we have a new fantastic episode. Um, and like we said, we're featuring Jaden Ziegler. Uh, he works at a company called Alembic. Uh, and let's uh, jump right into it. So um, to start, Jaden, um, I have a quick question. You have a very interesting uh, LinkedIn history. I was doing a little lurking um, or research, as some call it. Um, and when I say interesting, I mean it's incredibly impressive. Uh, and the reason that I say that is you worked at both Apple, uh, Google, and now uh, Alembic. And um, you had quite a bit to do with AI. And I think AI is like a super hot topic now. People are obsessed with ChatGPT. People are obsessed with like creating uh, weird art, <laughs> like using robots to do it for you. Um, and my first thought was you were uh, kind of ahead of the game and seems like you even did some AI technology related um, learning in college. And I guess like what what uh, prompted that? Like, how did you get started on that path? Because you were, uh, you were definitely a leader in that. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate the, the flattery there. Um, first, first of all, very happy to be here. Really excited to talk about technology with both of y'all. Um, yeah, uh, that's a really good question. So I didn't realize I was ahead of the game, I guess, but um, just taking a little bit of a step back, my background is actually in psychology. So I got a PhD in psychology. And then along the way, I think, as you know, I'm I'm basically interested in kind of you know what's going on in here, right? While we're understanding the world, and uh, artificial intelligence is a really important tool for modeling how we do that, or at least creating hypotheses for how human cognition might work. And so I guess the two kind of just felt like they went hand in hand for me. Um, and so as I was going throughout my PhD, I was just learning more and more about machine learning and, and uh, artificial intelligence and ultimately trying to figure out ways that we can, again, leverage those tools to understand more about the brain. But I think I think it goes in both directions as well, right? So like now that I've transitioned into the technology sphere, um, it's actually really valuable being able to apply the psychology knowledge that I've learned um, for my PhD toward developing systems that we are trying to make intelligent and that people have to ultimately interact with and ultimately trust in terms of the uh, information that they're given. Um, and so I guess that was just a long-winded way of saying that I guess uh, my, my interest stems from just a deep understanding of how people work and using technology to as a tool to understand that. Awesome. That's a that's super interesting. It's not to I wonder how many people go from psychology to artificial intelligence. I, I totally see the connection, <laughs> but that's like a super unique path to get there. Um, and I guess the second question I had um, is, OK, so you're, you're deep in this field. You're working at fantastic companies like like Google, like Apple. Um, I guess what transition or what transition? That's a, the wrong word. What um, kind of encouraged you to transition to a company like Alembic? It, can you tell us um, after you tell us that just kind of what you have going on at Alembic and, and what you guys do? Um, yeah, so uh, I'll start backward. I'll, I'll, I'll start in the beginning and then work backward. Um, I guess at the end and work backward. So Alembic is a marketing analytics uh, SaaS platform. Um, so we are essentially trying to solve the attribution problem um, in marketing. And basically what that means is, you know, I've got a conversion, I've got a sale. Where did that come from, up, you know, in the upper part of the funnel? Um, and so this is actually, a, you know, a pretty challenging uh, thing to solve in, in the space, partly because 
you know, nowadays marketers have so many tools available to them, right? They've got their social tools, they've got their analytics tools, um, they've got their data living in all sorts of different places. Um, and then especially with the, you know, with the advent of like Apple tracking, um, you know, basically crumping down on the ability to track, uh, track folks across these different touch points, um, it's become increasingly challenging to make those connections. And so we are ultimately trying to solve that problem at scale to be able to use aggregate data to track where users are coming from all the way down the funnel to be able to get that attribution data so that at the end of the day, you can understand what's working about your marketing stack, what's not working about your marketing stack, and then for specifically what's not working, how can you, you know, what insight can you glean from that that you can understand whether to cut it or to change something to make it work. Um, so that's my little pitch for Alembic. I, you know, honestly, I never thought that I would end up in marketing and, and I don't have a background in marketing. I don't really have any predilections toward marketing. Um, so I sort of kind of, I fell into Alembic kind of serendipitously. Um, my roommate actually worked at Alembic before I did. And eventually, you know, as a company starts growing, they needed someone to come in, uh, an experienced product leader. And, and prior to that, it was the CEO doing most of the product work. Um, but honestly, I think ultimately, uh, you know, obviously that personal connection was really important there. Um, but I think the thing that ultimately got me here was, you know, I'd started my career at Apple. I had launched some pretty amazing technology in the translation space there. Um, and then at that point, you know, I, I kind of was ready for trying what another big company might look and feel like. And so my switch to Google was mostly one of, you know, testing a hypothesis, you know, how different can it be? Um, you know, I was really excited to work on search personalization there for a short stint in time. And I was very, you know, I was looking forward to continue that work. But um, one, what I realized is that at these big companies, you know, especially if you're kind of like middle of the road, middle upper of the road, there's still a lot of uh, challenge in actually making, you know, tangible impact, right? So, you know, there's, I, I call it institutional sludge effectively, right? So you need to get 20, 30 different sign-offs to make one small change. And from where I was, you know, from where I was standing, you know, not, not that there's, I mean, I'm not trying to like inherently value that kind of a system, you know, there are reasons that these systems come into place. But for where I was in my career journey, I felt like I wanted a little bit more accountability and a little bit more ownership over the work that I was doing. And this, you know, this opportunity came into my lap to work with at Alembic, um, you know, partly brokered through my, uh, my roommate. And it, you know, at the time it just felt right because, you know, now I'd been at a couple of big companies. I kind of knew how that side of things worked and I was really ready to jump in and have, you know, immediate, more tangible impact and, you know, try on a bunch of different hats and learn the startup world in a way that, you know, I had never quite experienced prior. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I don't know if you, you get much more uh, immediate impact than, than being a product leader at an early stage startup. You really don't. I, I mean, that's as, as close to it as you get. I mean, that's that's going that's getting into the <laughs> into the fire. So awesome. it sure oh, it sure is. I, I mean, I don't think I knew fully what I was getting myself into. And, you know, in retrospect, I think I, I, I'm very happy where I am. But uh, it was it was a it was a shock at first <laughs> in a lot of ways. <laughs> With, uh, working at a at a early stage startup like that early is there's some it's interesting every company those challenges that you work at but you know the uh, small 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 and large but yeah there's just some really interesting things that go on when you have that much autonomy and that much responsibility and that much of a hand in 
the product or in the from in my uh, example, the social media side of things. And, you know, when you're fully responsible for all of that, um, can be a little overwhelming. But uh, I think um, clearly based on this recent promotion, congratulations again. Um, I think you're doing everything right. Um, sorry, it looked like you were going to say something. Mark didn't want to cut yeah, you off Jordan, I'd, I'd love to ask Jaden. I, I, I want to make sure that I really understand what Alembic's doing and, and how it fits in because it's so intriguing. And it's also really timely, right? Everything, you know, the, 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 pop culture awareness of of ai is just like skyrocketed and mm -hmm. so so i think it's really interesting and a lot of people i think sometimes stro struggle to understand how it applies to business and particularly like to mid-sized businesses that we see a lot of so i, I kind of want to start you know, make sure i really understand like the, the the business problem you're solving and so you know what what i heard was from the way you described it there is is solving that attribution problem and and i'm no I'm no marketer but i've certainly i certainly work closely i've worked closely with a lot of marketing teams in my career and one of the things i've, I've seen traditionally has been right you have you have branding efforts you have this sort of brand side of marketing that lives over here in one part of the world and that tends to be pretty fuzzy and hard to measure and mm -hmm. often um you know depending on on the organization like resistance to any attempt to measure say like, oh it can't it can't be measured that's it's it and it leads to a lot of feel-good activities and and some of them clearly have impact and sometimes massive impact but hard to tangible tangibly uh, uh put metrics around those and, and really identify and then on the other side, you have what's what I think of really what's grown out of the last like 15, 20 years, the digital marketing channels, which are like very, very measurable. And 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 often those teams often they evolve into two different marketing teams within marketing, one that's very, very metrics driven, one that, that has a lot of, uh, you know, it's analytics driven. You have people coming into that from development backgrounds. Uh, statistical backgrounds, data scientists. And so you have this one lane that's all about very tight attribution linked together, uh, attribution models and, and measurement down to, okay, what is the return on investment of this campaign? And you, you have this massive, this other part of the marketing where you have to do often spending massive budgets and can't attribute. And, and my takeaway was what I'm hearing is you're trying to solve that problem, essentially, like bring those together and do to do attribution for those branding events that yes. can't be typically be uh, measured as well. Yeah, I love this question, actually. So uh, we're, you know, in, in a nutshell, we're trying to create a common language uh, that marketers of these different types can use to understand their impact. And what I mean by that is, uh, yes, like exactly as you explained it, right? In in branding efforts, it really is a lot of times very challenging to measure exactly the impact there, right? Or exactly how much brand you're getting from yeah. a particular campaign. Um, and then, you know, to take that a step further, right? Like, you know, you'll you'll spend all of these these dollars on brand campaigns, right? Um, and then, you know, your folks over at the digital side or your folks down at the conversion side are like, okay, but so what, right? Like, why did we spend all that money? Did it get us any conversions? You know, like everyone has their own particular goal or their own particular KPI that they're, they're kind of, um, you know, pegging down to. And so it, it's often, you know, it's often challenging for them to see the impact of different types of campaigns for these different types of goals. Um, and so we're doing a couple of things to try to solve this. So for one, you know, we are trying to uh, make sense of the unstructured data out there 
uh, in ways that haven't hasn't really been tried to get wrangled before. So what I mean by that is right, you know, you've got TV TV spots, for instance, right? Um, if I buy a TV ad, it's actually, you know, for one, it's really hard to get that data. So there are very few TV providers that have, you know, information about when something airs and how many people see it. And so we we actually have a, a contract with a, a, a proprietary data source to be able to, to pull that data in, um, which is one way of measuring that kind of brand impact. Um, and then, you know, we we combine that with some other proprietary data sources in terms of uh, the, the news or the PR that you're getting online in, in web articles. Um, and then, of course, you know, you've got the whole digital side of things in terms of like tracking for your, you know, your analytics platforms, your social platforms. Um, and so we're trying to both, you know, we're trying to make sense of all of that unstructured data, which is actually a huge thing that we're throwing AI at, right? Because it, it, it it's really challenging to make sense of that type of data. Um, and so we're trying to like distill it down into these insights of, you know, like if I did X, did that actually drive eyeballs, right? On some kind of campaign. Um, so point one is that we're just trying to make sense of the full scope of data out there. And I think a lot of companies up until this point, or in general, a lot of companies are really good at maybe one or two channels um, and being able to kind of track the, tra the attribution in those channels. And especially if you're you know, working within the digital space, it's a lot easier to, to trace the breadcrumbs there. Um, so we're pulling in a lot of unstructured data streams that haven't been wrangled as well before and are trying to make sense of that and then, you know, uh, track those breadcrumbs to the other digital channels that you see. So that's point one to, I guess, do, to answer your question. And then yeah. the other thing that we're doing actually, which speaks a little bit more to what I almost um, talk about as like the politics of an organization is that, you know, again, the different teams will have their different KPIs that they're measuring down to. Mm -hmm. um, and so we actually created this framework recently, we call it the action attention framework. Um, I'm happy to get into it in more detail, but it's a way of actually being able to uh, effectively capture, it's effectively me measuring the same end goal, but across different marketing goals. And so what I mean by that is, you know, if I'm the brand team, I can pop into Alembic and I can see, you know, we've, we've created our own proprietary algorithms based on all the data that we're pulling in. We've created a way to, to measure the impact on exactly that, that brand from that unstructured data. And so if I'm, you know, if I'm the brand team, I can pop into Alembic and I can say, I can set my goal as I'm tracking brand, you know, what was the impact that these marketing activities had on brand? And then, you know, as the, the demand gen team, I can pop in and I can say, hey, you know, I actually am going to set mine to demand, and now I can see the the exact marketing impact on demand. And by the way, these two, you know, ways of tracking are actually under uh, underlain by the exact same algorithms, and so they're actually very comparable. At the end of the day, if you're looking at your brand metrics and your demand metrics, you can actually kind of trade them off and see, you know, was this thing better at building brand? Was it better at building demand, or did it jointly build both of them? And so we're trying to enable this framework, this way of different teams within the organization to both talk to each other about their KPIs and see how the campaigns that are being um, played out are actually impacting all of them jointly and potentially you know, all successfully, maybe some less successful than others, but recognizing that you know, there are different things that, that these different teams are doubling down on and that all of them are important given the right context. That that makes a lot of sense, and and I, I I chuckle a little bit to myself because I've been in some very I'll call them lively discussions lately internally about 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 just this how do we measure brand and yeah. and and being like well how, how can can we really measure brand what's the right metric is should do we track one two three five metrics 
uh, you know, looking out and this fed into our planning for this year. It was like, mm -hmm. well, we, we at a company, Saligo, we made we had an objective to to change our, our brand awareness in the mid market. But it was like, well, how do we measure that? And is it one? Is it two? Do we need? And, and we even talked about, you know, do we come up with a with a brand score? Do we take a bunch of these things and put them together? Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, any, anything that, that a, that a mid-market company we would do on our own is going to be much less sophisticated than something that's purpose-built. And it sounds like that really is something that you put a lot of thought into how, yeah. how to make a sophisticated representation of that. And that it's, it, it's really interesting because I know at least that it just, just dipping our toe in that, how hard that is mm -hmm. for a company. And it's like, well, and then you pick something and well, is that the right thing? Is it not? How do you, and how do you measure some of these things? It's just, it, it's a really, it's, it's a, it's a very, it's a very timely question. It, it really resonates as the challenge that companies face in, in trying to figure this out, you know, going through it. Hey, Jane, congrats on your easiest customer ever. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to take another meeting. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll take a little well, bit of commission there. <laughs> well, and you're, and you're right. I mean, and so, I think the beauty of this, the beauty of being at such an early stage in this game is that we're, you know, we're figuring it out as we go too, right? So we are trying to create these kind of common scores to, to you know, to measure brand, right? And like, we're not going to get it right first pass. I think, you know, we've got a robust framework right now that seems to be working very well. And we've run it by a number of our customers and have validated it by a number of them. And it kind of makes sense internally and it's sanity checked. But there's always a lot of room for improvement, right? So I'm, I'm sure, you know, as, as we get access to more and more streams of data or, you know, understand a little bit more differently about how some of these things are, are being affected, we can certainly tweak on that particular way of doing things. But, you know, we're trying to create somewhat of an industry standard by doing this, but there will always be an ability for folks to then, you know, customize certain aspects of it as well. But I think what we gain from that kind of industry standard approach too, is that as, as we have customers, in all of these different pillars, you know, then internally, like let's say you're the financial services pillar, right? We've got a new customer coming on board. Then like at the end of the day, we could also tell you, you know, how do you stack up against the other portfolio of companies that we have who are using this exact same metric? And, you know, it kind of gives you that little like microcosm understanding of where you fall in, in the grand scheme of things. And, and that's eventually, you know, ultimately what a lot of these companies are, are trying to get anyway. Um, and so I think, it's it's just really exciting to be in this space and to be able to experiment with these ideas um, and and talk to you know folks like you who are very much facing the same challenges and seeing how together we can come up with solutions that work for everyone. Uh, no, Jane, I, I think though I I hundred percent agree with that. And so this is I mentioned earlier how timely this is. Right, there's a lot of a, a lot of you know, thought being thrown around and, and talk about AI. And I, I'd love, I'd love to actually establish some baselines. Cause when I think mm -hmm. I, and I personally, I've always kind of sat, I started out as a technologist and then I moved more to the business side and, and think of myself as sort of a bridge in solving business problems between kind of, you know, between the technology side and the business. But I talked to a lot of business leaders that are, they're true business leaders and they're very interested in technology and being modern. But when they hear certain things, they they don't know what 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 some of these terms mean, and I, I'd love to to ask you about a couple of these that you brought up so far because I think it'd be mm -hmm. really helpful for 
for business leaders to understand. And, the, and one that you mentioned was you you, you use the word unstructured data. Uh, sort of like for anyone that's been, you know, uh, sort of elbows deep in, in the guy <laughs> trying to get a query data or, 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 or define a metric for something, you know, you're, you're, you just kind of, you've been through the pain of dealing with that. So, you know, yeah. at an intrinsic level, but for someone that hasn't, what does that really mean? Um, yeah. So what, what's a good way to describe this? So maybe the best way to describe that is as a contrast to what structured data is, right? Yeah. So let's, let's take, you know, um, Adobe Analytics or Google Analytics, right? When you are tracking your website and you've embedded, you know, these, these uh, touch points on every page to see, you know, when someone clicks on, um, you know, add to cart or checks out or something, right? What Adobe is doing is, uh, is that, that that's, you know, it's firing off an event, which is going to log this bit of data, right? And it's logging it in such a way that like, even if, you know, no matter what the, the, the source of that data, it's, it's always in a similar format, right? So, you know, you've got, you know, one label that identifies what the thing is, you've got a label that identifies what the, what the value is, right? And it's very much like this kind of tabular, like, plug and play, I know exactly what this field means, I know exactly what this field means, you know, to heck with whatever input data I put in, I can always make sense of it, right? And so if I create a script to run on top of that to analyze it, it's going to work no matter what that input data is, right? And so that's the happy path, right? And that's ultimately what we would love all of our data to look like, you know, and there's a lot of engineering that goes into making data work that way, right? And, you know, you know, I, I, the data scientists out there have like some of the hardest jobs because they oftentimes have to wrangle data to make it in formats that, that the rest of us can actually use it. Um, and effectively that's what, you know, Lembic is trying to do with some of the, the marketing data out there that isn't beautifully formatted. And so the unstructured data is what I'm saying is like anything that basically isn't that, right? So you've got, mm -hmm. you know, you're pulling data from television, right? Like there's, there's no common format for how you know, if I mention Saligo on my commercial ad, right, there's no common format for pulling that data down and putting it into some kind of tabular structure that then I can run, you know, an algorithm on or, or summary statistics on to make sense of it, like lickety split, right? And so that that's unstructured data. It's very much messy. It's not in a common format. And we're trying to build those common formats, or at the very least, you know, make sense of the, the insanity there that then, you know, allows us to put it in, uh, in, in, in an easily understandable way that we can then compare it to the other well-structured things out there and then really see those cross-pollination efforts. Mark, hold on one sec, because I, I know you have some some uh, some other terms that you want to ask. And I'm yeah. just curious, maybe both of you could answer this. If companies or um, enterprises or industries as big as television, something that is ubiquitous <laughs> with nearly every home in America, why are they not creating formats of organizing the data and selling it to you in a nice clean package structured way rather than um, forcing like companies to cr be created that have to do that to repurpose it to sell to other people like is there a reason that they're not monetizing that data that's I mean that data monetization seems like the thing that everybody's so interested in and, and, and has such a, a, a stake in like is television just so far behind you know they're stuck in like the 1940s hello here what you know and they talk like that or like what's going on there and and then sorry then we can get back to the terms i just wanted to ask that before i forgot i mean i'll take a stab i don't i don't fully think that i know the answers here but uh i think think one is like television is not a one thing right so you know you've got your broadcast networks um that are 
you know, putting the content out, but there are actually multiple, there are dozens, hundreds of different individual broadcast networks throughout the country, and they might have their own individualized way of doing things, right? And so there's no one monolithic TV entity for one, um, which I think is the problem here, because then, you know, if I'm a fan, you know, if I'm someone trying to scrape all of the, you know, the, the broadcast information across all of these different broadcast networks, it's going to look different from broadcast network A than it is from B, from C, from D. And there are, you know, to, to, to the credit, there are companies out there that are aggregating that data. And we work, we partner with one of them to get the data. But even still, you know, part of the challenge that they're facing is just like getting it such that you can then pull that data in a similar, like, so that you can at least write the queries in a similar way to pull the data across these different structures. But they're often, you know, solving such a large challenge that like, the, the flip side of that, then the actually analyzing it or like making sense of it is, you know, left to the folks who are trying to ingest that data. Um, and so I think there's a huge opportunity there. And, you know, certainly we're going to try to solve one aspect of it that works for us. But I don't think, you know, I, I don't think that, I think that the fragmentation is exactly what, what causes the problem and the challenge there. But I'd, I'd love to hear if Mark has additional thoughts. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I kind of look look at it from a from a broader industry perspective across multiple industries and what i've seen is that you have these tra traditional industries evolving and developing if you think of tv that came out that most likely came out of radio right and so you have this industry evolve in a direction and it well it, it's not it's not a technology led industry they're not necessarily thinking about data in that way and how to create a value add and so this this always creates opportunity for disruption and so you often see some industries will evolve more quickly in a in a particular direction to be more data friendly because they're adding as as someone along the way decided to provide a, a value add service to their customers i.e. either advertisers by saying hey we can we can disrupt this industry because we're going to create a we're going to provide data in a different different way um and and be more technically oriented and so then those those industries will then evolve and the other one the competitors will will realize that they need to pick that up but you see mm -hmm. but you see whole lines of industries being slower behind the curve like in the past i've worked with professional sports teams who have over the last 20 years have become much much more technically oriented and one of the one of the products that i worked on that, that we built for sports teams was consolidating the ad data that their advertisers, that, that they would, uh, a quote, partner, they would refer to them, might buy an advertising package for the whole season, which could be everything from naming rights to the stadium, to a billboard, to in-person appearances. And, and they have, it's across multiple things and trying to quantify that was actually a, providing that data in a more digestible format for a CMO or a CEO of their their advertisers, their what they call their partners to consume, uh, you know, worked with a sports team that they decided that was a competitive advantage and partnered with us to build this and then create a product to resell it. And that was no no one had tried. It was all manually done PowerPoints. And that's just one kind of mm -hmm. one example I see that's that's related to this. And so you know that happens in a lot of industries. So I, I would you know at a certain point we would expect like in TV that they're going to say, Hey, there's a way to disrupt this and provide, and someone's going to lead out and start to create a standard. But there's, there's such um, varying technology adoption across industry that you just have some that just haven't, haven't gotten there yet, Jordan. And I think that's really what it is when we look at well, you know, TV, for example, and, and across a lot of others. 
So do we just start a new company or what's the deal? <laughs> oh, maybe we um, gave somebody an idea. Yeah. <laughs> this is we're copyrighted. It's, it's we, we can all benefit from it if someone yeah. builds it for sure. Fair, yeah. fair. Okay. So Mark, thank you for letting me interrupt. But um, you started with unstructured data where there's some other terms that you uh well, and the, and the other one, yeah, the other one that I just wanted to ask is is the one that's on the on the uh, right. It's what what does AI mean? What's artificial intelligence, machine learning? Everyone is throwing that around, and and I and and I it's gotten to the point where the now I think the majority of people using that term, it's like magic, and and they 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 use it in place of 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 magic and, and because that's not acceptable way to enter into a conversation <laughs> well let's just apply some magic over here can we use ai for that and and it's uh and and that's i think a lot of what you know and that this is a i mean you spend right this is you know how do you describe that succinctly but i yeah, think that's yeah. really important for a lot of business leaders like what is that what does that really mean is that what's happening there when someone says oh i'm going to apply ai to solve this problem how, how, how do you describe that that answer, Jaden? That's an excellent question. I, th I, I think a lot about this, actually. And um, at its core, what I think AI to be is less the, you know, magical, ethereal, like, sexiness of it and more the is, you know, creating using a system that can create or can effectively approximate some small subset of human intelligence and do it in a way that's more efficient than humans, right? So let's take a, a case, maybe a case from our own example, right? So, you know, we've been talking about television um, and we've been talking about the fact that the data that we're pulling back from that is really unstructured, right? And so it makes it challenging to understand if, you know, the, the TV spot that was aired over here is using the same language for, you know, like, the same language of the advertisement for the TV spot over here, right? So we've got all of these mentions floating around in the ether across a number of different stations. We have no way of tying them together, right? So yeah, as a human, right, I can listen to that or I can read that and I can recognize that that's similar to that. Um, but in one kind of small instance, what we're using AI to do is to sort of automate the process of finding those matches, right? And so that's like, that's, that's taking a task that a human could do, that, and, you know, a human intelligent task and using computers to automate that in a more efficient way. And so that's ultimately what, you know, I take AI to be, and certainly it can mm -hmm. scale up to be these like much more ethereal things like, you know, chat GPT and the kind of sentience that, that may or may not be living behind that. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, we, a lot of your bread and butter AI technologies are not going to be at least at that level, um, at least and certainly haven't been for a while now. And I think a lot of what you know our companies are thinking about and a lot of companies in our position are thinking about is, you know, how can we use computers to solve these these much smaller scale problems that then like ultimately build toward a much higher you know level of insight. Um, and there have to be, you know, industry disrupt disruptors like we're kind of seeing in this space right now. But but, you know, I, I personally um am not disrupting in that kind of way and and when you know when it comes to application of ai for me it's, it's much more the immediate needs of you know how can we make this more efficient how can we give insights to people in ways that they haven't seen it before yeah i, I think that was a great explanation and the way i often think of it whether it's when, when it comes up in conversation over a dinner party or it's it's in a business setting i often think of it in as way by way of example in that way and and, and the one that always comes back for to me and, and from some things that 
I've, I've worked on in the past or the, the way that we use it here at, at Saligo is it's pattern matching. You say, yeah. you know, humans are actually very good at identifying patterns and very quick mm -hmm. at, at synthesizing their experience and then identifying a pattern, whether consciously or especially unconsciously, you probably speak to that way better than I'd ever be able to. But, uh, but that is what, that that's an application that the AI does very, very well is taking some pattern and then scaling it out, doing something that a, that a human could do um, intuitively and then breaking that down. So it's really, it sets a fit of, fits a set of rules and then scaling that out across maybe billions or trillions of data points and then doing it at a level that you could never have, have people do. And, and that, that for me is an example. And, and we, we like, we use do that in our product because we've used open AI for, uh, a couple years for for error management and automation because there's it often can just turn in noise. You're moving data around. You guys move a lot of data around as well. That that when you when it doesn't meet the quote contract, it just you have all these failures and can just turn into noise. And it's like, well, what's mm -hmm. how, what are the patterns through the noise? How do we, what are the things that actually need to be acted on versus not or maybe can be just sort of fixed automatically or things that that need action and, and applying again it's just applying patterns to a big a big set and i don't you know maybe that's a little bit of an oversimplification but but sometimes it, it's required to to, to get to a level <laughs> of, i guess it, just just calling it magic i don't think that's sufficient <laughs> it's it, that no I, I i completely think that that is an absolutely spot on description of what's going on here because you know pattern matching is at the core of any machine learning algorithm and it's exactly what things like ChatGPT are doing, right? I mean, it's based on an input set of billions and trillions of, of rows of data, and it's just trying to find patterns so that given an input, I can then predict the next thing that's likeliest to come based on the pattern that I've extracted from the data that I've seen. So it's pattern matching all the way down. I think that's a, a very elegant way of putting it. And in fact, it does scale up to these, these higher uh, complex examples um, very, very nicely. Yeah, that's that's pretty spot on, Mark. I, I used to work at a an AI based company that dealt with supply chain management, and the, one of the biggest aspects that they always talked about the account executives over and over was um, yeah, pattern matching. And when you have billions and billions of data points, especially mm -hmm. across manufacturing, now with like IoT, where they're measuring every single little thing from the speed to the temperature to the how many robots flick the button this direction. It's yeah, if there's a pattern that's not matching, that becomes like um a point of alert and and yeah so i again i'm not i'm no ai technologist or vice president of engineering or anything but that's 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 how i understand quite a quite a bit of it and i'm sure there's a million more aspects of of uh, ai beyond pattern management that i'm not touching on but that's i think that's a really easy way for folks like me to understand it very quickly so yeah. both of your guys explanations were fantastic thank you for those um I was well, really just looking for confirmation that that that, that, that <laughs> I, I that that I was thinking about the right way since we've got the expert here and we've got Aiden pinned down. So <laughs> that's that's perfect. It's it's uh -huh. definitely not magic, that's for sure. We uh, but it is it is uh, discussed like that frequently. Um, I had a, a few kind of non-technical, non-product, non-company questions for you, Jaden. Sure. Um, sure. And I I say this in every, almost every interview I've ever been in. Um, and all of the uh, podcasts that I've been on, um, I like to humanize the other person, you know, especially vice presidents to some people can be very intimidating. Um, you know, they're they're up in this 
high stratosphere and, and they're not a relatable normal person. And every single one that I've met um, in interviews and podcasts actually are like, um, they are real people. They, they have, you know, families and interests and things like that. And so the first question that I want to ask is, do you think there's anything, um, I'm sorry if this comes out of left field, but like in your childhood that kind of made you want to work in either psychology, technology, AI, like what, did you have any, um, like, did you go to the space summer camp and that really jump started your, th- I know I went to Lego summer camp, uh, that doesn't have anything to do with, uh, social media management, but, uh, was there anything that kind of was a catalyst for what you do now? Great question. I think a lot about this actually. And, uh, so we're going to go a little deep and I hope it doesn't, you know, hope it's no, not go, too deep, go, go. but, uh, yeah. So I think. Uh, it, it's interesting because so I grew up in North Dakota um, and uh, I identify as a gay man. And, uh, you know, back at the time when I was growing up in the 90s and the early 2000s, uh, certainly the, the, you know, the society was not as accepting. And certainly places like North Dakota, which are a lot more uh, conservative leaning, tend to be very intolerant of things like that. And so uh, honestly, one of the, you know, tracing it back, obviously everything makes sense in retrospect, right? But tracing it back, I think I became first involved in language and, and that for me, and so by the way, like my PhD study was primarily in language. And so that's why these like NLP, natural language models, ChatGPT are pretty core near and dear to my heart. Um, for me, it was basically escapist, right? So like the, the idea that you could learn another language, learn about another culture, maybe imagine living in another place that's much more accepting. Um, was ultimately the thing that kind of let me latch onto that. And then as I got older and older and I was, you know, more inherently interested in why people behave the way they do toward other people and why people, you know, say the kinds of things that they do toward other people and have the kinds of beliefs that they have toward other people, the, 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 the two kind of melded together in, into psychology, which then eventually led to technology as a way to use those insights to make our experiences with other other people through the technologies that we use better and better. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, ultimately it comes down to that. And I think the perspective that I bring hopefully ends up helping um, make things better for some other folks. And so I think just the other thing that I would like to say about that is that uh, I, I very much value representation, right? So like I, I try to live out and proud as a gay man because knowing that folks like me exist in these kinds of positions and that you know, little Johnny, seven-year-old, can see that that that's something attainable someday, and that you know, being your true self, self at work is totally possible. Then you know, hopefully, that's the kind of impact and the kind of legacy that I want to have on people. That's awesome, man. I think um, you know, a lot of people's work is very internal, and not a lot of people see it. And I've, my work is social media management. Literally, everyone sees everything that I do, and so. Um, I strive to be as inclusive and, um, you know, care about representation as much as possible. And so I think that you're kind of like living your truth or whatever uh, saying, you know, you have out there is really important. And unless people like you are doing what you've done, then people like me won't have the opportunity to share that on a public scale. And then, you know, like you said, little Johnny won't know that that's a possibility. And that's why it's so important because if you're, discriminating or keeping certain people out of certain roles based on whatever minority status they may have, you're kind of just like shooting yourself in the foot. That's something that I always 
like didn't really understand it's like you're you're just like not accessing the best talent because you are some of the best talent and if someone was to disregard you for who you are that's that's dumb on their part literally so that got super deep i'm glad we got to talk about that um and then i'll 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 have one other question that i like to ask most guests and mark if you have any after that and we can begin to wrap up because i don't want to take up too much of Jaden's time um i know Jaden, that you said you're a runner um and uh you've been running every day for the past seven years is that yeah. correct yeah <laughs> uh, i i have too if you're listening i'm being 100 honest i have never stopped running or exercising no i'm just kidding um <laughs> so so obviously you do stuff uh outside of work and like i said i like to humanize folks um are there any other passions or hobbies or interests uh that you have that are um, unique or unusual or kind of have helped define your experience as a uh, as a person like but specifically outside of work yeah um i think that's actually a great way to dovetail with my previous answer which is um shameless plug so i'm i'm again representation all about it and and so i've i've become there's, there's this organization called out in tech um, which is a national organization that uh, provides community um, events, mentoring, et cetera, for folks who identify as LGBTQ+. Um, and uh, so I am deeply involved in that organization. They have a mentorship program where we pair, you know, up and coming folks who want to get involved in tech and then, you know, seasoned mentors in tech. Um, and I'm, I, this, this past spring, I guess, as of January, I stepped into a leadership position leading the uh, admissions team. Um, trying to make those pairings and ultimately make the mentorship program very successful. And so I'd say that like outside of maybe running, my, one of my biggest passions on the side is being able to give back in, in meaningful ways and, and through organizations like Out in Tech, um, I find that to be really valuable and rewarding and the kind of thing that, you know, I wish I had had um, when I was growing up. And, and so I try to give back in those ways. And uh, that's probably the biggest thing taking up a lot of my time these days. And, and I, I find a lot of value in it. That's awesome, man. Um, for those of you uh, listening, if you look up Pay It Forward in the dictionary, you will see a photo of Jaden. Um, <laughs> fun fact, page page 387. Check it out. Um, well, uh, yeah, Mark, do you have anything uh, to close with? I'm, I'm, I want to give you an opportunity before we uh, let everyone get back. to Well, the I mean, I would just say that uh, the Jaden's work to to make make the world a better place is inspiring. So <laughs> just say um, definitely. Well, awesome. Um, for those who made it this far, thank you so much for listening to the Technology Leadership Podcast. Uh, again, I'm Jordan, your or the social media manager here at Saligo, host of the podcast. Uh, Jane Ziegler, who is the vice president of product at Alembic. You can find them at getalembic.com. And Mark Simon, who is the uh, fantastic vice president of sales over here at Saligo. Uh, we thank you for your time um, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you so much and uh, hope everyone has a great rest of your day. Bye, everybody. Thank Thanks. you. Bye.